0: Welcome back guys to another episode of Hey Bob Outdoors. My name's Adam and I have my brother Matt once again. And uh, today we have John Dosh with us from Pass it On Wilderness Skills. Really excited to dive into today's topic. As you might or might not know, uh, we try to stay seasonal here at Hey Bub Outdoors and whether you know it or not, uh, it's it's getting ready to be sugar in season. In fact, there's already been Uh, some uh, sugar in action in mid-January. Now things have slowed down because of the cold weather, but sugar sugar in season is right around the corner. And uh, we have a local uh, expert, if you will, in John Dosh. John joins us from uh, Southern Indiana, where he is um, over an organization called Pass It On Wilderness Skills. John, uh, we talked a little bit before we started. Uh, I've gotten to know you because I, I actually served as your pastor there for a little while. You've been a great friend, a mentor to me in wilderness. I know what a poplar tree is because of you. At 25 <laughs> years old, I learned as one who had a climber on my back. You said just find a straight poplar down there in the bottom, and I thought I have no idea what that means, and you showed me. So thank you. But pass it on, wilderness skills. I don't know of many people who uh, invest in youth and outdoors like you do. Uh, you practice what you preach and um, your your name is perfect because you mentor kids and you have this incredible knowledge that you share uh, a holistic woodsmanship is, is what I would consider it. So thanks for joining us, man. I really appreciate it uh, real fast um, just to get things started. What's your favorite class to teach at uh, Passing On Wilderness Skills?
1: Well, first of all, say hello, Matt. Hello, Adam. Glad to be invited to uh, share in your uh, your ministry here, and my favorite class, which is a tough one, would uh, probably have to be uh, basic fire starting because uh, that's the one that gets the kids to light up. Once they get that first fire, they just their eyes light up and they are ready and fired up to go. So, Hopefully, uh, not literally, right? <laughs> yeah, it's it's fun watching the kids. Uh, you know, the kids learn and and then want more and more and more. So I had to say Firestar because all kids are just interested in
0: getting fires going.
2: How could you not be? (laughs) I still love
0: it. (laughs) There you go. There's something about fire that, uh, stirs the soul. Hey, we are here to talk about sugaring and, um, a few years back, John, on your uh, Passing on Wilderness Skills Facebook page, which there's going to be a link down below in the description of this video. So all of you are watching this, check out John's stuff. He has so, so many helpful hints from trapping to hunting to fishing uh, to fire starting. He covers so many different topics that are just really, really interesting. And uh, so be sure to check out that information below. But we're here to talk about sugaring. And uh, we're going we're gonna to watch a video that you released a few years back and uh, John, we're just going to go through that. I think it's a five minute video and we're going to ask you some questions, but first we'll go ahead and pull that up. I'm going to share the screen and uh, we'll get things going here. We've got our computer sound up and going and there you are. Yeah, There's John and that was uh, a few pounds lighter. You're a few pounds lighter. No, then I was. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> well, to get things going here, John, I, uh, of course you're you 're up against the maple tree. I think before we even hit the video before we hit start um, could you tell us what species of maples you know are tappable? I mean can we tap any kind? I know there 's sugar maple, but what kind of trees can we tap?
1: Well, all maples are um, tappable to make um, to get sap from to make syrup. Um, some of them have a higher sugar content than others, so it would take less sap to make the same amount of syrup than it would, say, a silver maple, which has a lower sugar content. And it would take more sap from that to make the same amount of syrup that, it would, you know, any other tree.
0: Okay. All right, that makes sense. So around in, in the Ohio Valley, anyways, Matt is out east, and the tree species would be the same there. You know, we have uh, red maple, we have silver maple, sugar maple. Uh, what What are you standing beside here, John? What's that what tree are you standing beside here? What what oh, species? Well that one there's the a that's a silver
1: maple, and that's what I have mostly in my woods. Uh, silver maple. There are some hard maple and uh, black maple. I don't have any of the sugaring maple, so I do the best I can with what I got. But I'd say ninety five percent of my trees are of the silver maple.
0: Okay. Well, we'll go ahead and we'll start. Um... Any size, by the way, before we start, any size that you particularly look for? What's the, what's the minimum, size minimum on a tree to tap?
1: Well, the minimum size for me to tap is 10 inches in diameter. Um, I don't like to tap anything under 10 inches uh, because the tree's in its infancy at that point. So yeah. um, we'll kind of let them get a little size to them. And the smaller trees that are, say, 10 to 20 inches in diameter, I only use one tap on that, and then I get above 24 inches in diameter, you can start adding a couple, uh, like an extra tap. Um, Some of the bigger maples that I've got out here that you know are 50 or 75 years old, I can put three or four taps in them and not bother the tree at all. Okay,
2: Hmm, all right,
0: good stuff. Uh, We'll go ahead and start
1: it. Right now we've got another tree here. You notice I've got a, a big maple Once again, I got where the roots come out, I want to come up, and you can kind of see where the trunk is swelled here. You can see a little divot right here, a little divot over here. It's kind of swelled right in this area, and that's the area that I want to tap. These, if you can think about it, the roots of a tree are like the veins in our body. They're, they're what transfer the water. They pick the water up from the soil and they transfer it all the way up to the top of the tree. Just like our veins pick up the blood from our heart, our veins and arteries pick up the blood from our heart and pump it out to the extrem, extremities of our body. That's what we're doing here. So we, and whenever you go to the hospital, you get a um, blood test or you know, something like that, they're always looking for a vein. That's what we're looking for, the tree's vein. And that's where you find the swelled up part right above the major roots. We come up here, we're going to tap, oh, like I said, about 18, 20 inches up. We take an upward angle, so that the angle's facing down, and that all that does is allow the, the uh, sap to flow a little easier. So we come in here. Run our bit in one and a half inches, and I continue to run it in the same direction as I'm pulling it out. And what that does, once again, is it pulls the sawdust out of the tree, which is a very important item to remember. It cleans the hole out. That way it ain't clogging up your spile, your tree tap. And then I got a little stick here that I just run in there and make sure that I dig everything out.
2: So, we got the hole
1: drill, once again, I got the tap part that goes in the tree, I got the hose that's curved, and it's curving toward the tree. That gives my my collection jug a little stability. So I'll drive the uh, spile in here, drive it in. Those spiles have marks on them.
0: So we'll stop it right there. Uh, Matt, do you have any questions about what tapping does to the tree?
2: Yeah, so I mean you just referred to them in uh to the roots as basically the veins of the tree there. Um so obviously there's some significance in how it, it's pulling nutrients, like you said, out of the ground and whatnot. So you kind of alluded to this earlier as far as not not tapping a tree less than ten inches in diameter, but how does this long term affect the tree if you're say you're doing it every year? Uh do you have to choose a different spot every time? What does that look like?
1: Well, whenever you pull the spile out at the end of the season, it'll leave a hole in there about an inch and a half deep. And that tree is already to begun to heal that hole and cover it over just the same way as our body does. If we get a cut or a scratch mm-hmm. and it, it produces a scar, if you will, in mm-hmm. the wood and it, you know, covers it over it heals it up so that insects can't get in there. You do not want to tap in a line above or below the tap that you had the year before because if you do that it creates a line of scars and scar tissue and that can um, you know have an adverse
2: effect on the tree so left or right you would be good just not above and below
1: right right um the um basic uh distance between last year's tap and this year's hole and then the year after that is six inches so you want to space your your um your hose, your tapping hose out about six inches and you don't want to keep them in a line. So you'll kind of alternate them like a zigzag pattern.
2: Oh, okay. Interesting. All right. That's awesome.
0: And I love this, John. I love how it immediately starts to flow. We'll go ahead and do yeah, it again. that's so cool. I wasn't expecting <laughs> that the first
2: time I watched this. I thought they it was take some time.
1: And as you drive them in, they're a little oversized and they seal the hole off to where you don't have leakage coming around your tubing. There we go. As you can see, it didn't take long for it to start dripping.
0: fascinating yeah
1: we punch it into a we take our gallon jug and i take a 3 8 drill bit i drill a hole through the center of the i like using screw on caps that way they don't accidentally come off you get them screwed on they're on tight i drill a 3 8 hole through the cap i got 3 8 hose and it takes a little bit of pressure to push it in but when it's in it's secure it ain't gonna a little breeze ain't gonna come by and blow your jug off of the hose and roll it all through the woods and you lose all your hard work right there. But that's it. That's what we got. I mean, that's how easy uh, a sugar tree or sugar maple is.
0: So, I mean, just a lot of great advice there as far as how the hose should be bending. John, I see here you have, you know, you're using gallon jugs. Uh, I think purified water jugs is what you told me. Uh, I know now maybe you're using five gallon buckets. Say, say it's optimum day, for, for sugar sugaring, the sun's out, it's 60 degrees, it's late February. How long would it take to fill like this gallon jug or how long would it take to fill like a five gallon bucket off, off this tap in this particular tree, on average, would you say?
1: Well, on a good day, and a good day is uh, having a night that's below freezing and the daytime temperature reaching near 50 with sunlight. And the sunlight and the uh, temperatures near 50 cause the tree to start really pumping that uh, water up through the the veins of the tree. And when you get optimum uh, conditions like that, I can get a five-gallon bucket in a day's time. Uh, Normally, it takes about a day and a half to two days on an average flow day.
2: Wow. All right. That's impressive. That is. So when when you've got, say you've got a one-gallon jug here, are you going multiple times a day if conditions are right and just swapping it out or –
1: yeah, yes. Um, okay. I give up on the one gallon jugs because it was a lot of work, to, you know, I, and I was losing a lot. Okay. And when I, every year is a, you know, it's a learning for me every year. I learn something new, a better way to do it, to be a little more um, uh, efficient with, ev- with everything that I'm doing. And, um, you know, I started out with the gallon jugs basically because of the economy of it. They didn't cost me much of anything. And, Mm -hmm. uh, but I was losing a lot because I couldn't get out and check them often enough on good flow days. So I switched to the five gallon buckets and I don't have to check them as often. And, um, you know, I, I gather,
2: gather up quite a bit in a five gallon bucket. So you get a five gallon bucket with a lid on it. And you're still dr- drilling that three eighths inch hole on the top, and just basically doing the yes. same thing. But yeah, I still use the, the same
1: spile and the same hose. Um, I do uh, drill a small, um, like a uh, seven thirty seconds hole in the other side as a vent hole, and snap the lid on tight. And okay. that allows, as the bucket fills up, it allows the air to escape, and it doesn't create a you know a pressure in there. Sure. So anything I can do to increase the flow. It, you know besides adding a pump to the system is is the best way to go
2: yeah now we'll probably get into a little bit more of the the details of what comes after that but just just to kind of get a ballpark when you're when you're collecting one of those five gallon buckets how much if you got say the silver maple for example you said it's different per species of maple tree but how much syrup are you able to basically boil down out of that sap well,
1: the rate, uh, ratio on most maples is forty to one, so it'll take forty gallons of sap to make one gallon of syrup. Okay. Uh, the uh, sugaring maple, I think, it's got a little higher uh, sugar content, and I believe you can get about thirty—that's uh, thirty-five to one on
2: it. Interesting. righty. Okay. that's cool.
0: What would you, John? What would you say is kind of the? You you hinted at that optimum day, but like, when would you say? The sugar and season kind of starts and ends. Is it, is it all based on the weather? Is it is does it have to do with the amount of sunlight? Uh, is is there a season or a time frame that you typically say it falls in between these dates? Well, typically,
1: it's in the second week of February, maybe the third week of February, on into maybe middle of March, the latter part of March. Um, the last couple of years, you you know you know we have had very mild winters. And the surfing season has started actually in January and it did this year. It started in January. We had that warm spell out there and I was able to gather a little over a hundred gallons of sap in just in a few days that it, it was warming up. Wow.
2: wow, That's cool. As far as, as far as like a time commitment goes, obviously we know once you get it tapped and you've got it collecting, there's not a whole lot of work to be done at the tree, but how about, making the syrup itself so you're taking it and just cooking it down what's how long does that take what's that process look like
1: well i've um it, it takes a lot of time
2: <laughs> uh seems like everything i get involved in
1: just sucks the time out of me um i usually save the the um boiling down for the weekends i'll start friday after work i'll get out there and get my fires built up get the sap going and i'm usually all weekend about sunday afternoon late sunday afternoon somewhere around four or five o'clock i finally finish up and i i usually um i won't start boiling until i have at least 200 gallons of uh sap to boil okay so
0: so it's a so for somebody for somebody just getting ready to uh just getting ready to start what what would you say is like the best amount to kind of uh start at uh like 50 gallons give it a shot I mean what what would you say is a beginner starting point
1: well you take five gallons um if I had five gallons of sap go ahead and boil that down you keep it won't take you that long to do it you could probably do that in a, a you know, a couple hours maybe, and uh, want to do it outside. I do want to stress that you want to boil it outside because as that's evaporating, the sugar dissolves with the with the steam and it rises, and everything in the house will get sticky. I had that <laughs> period <experience. laughs> My first oh, year doing it, uh, it was it took a little cleanup time.
0: Oh I, was my with <laughs> I heard it's rough on wallpaper too yes yes it sure is so uh they'll do it outside one of
1: them turkey burners work great with a stainless steel pan and uh five gallons you can boil down in a couple hours and that ought to give you about 12 ounces of
2: finished syrup okay how do you know when you're just looking at it how do you know it's boiled down enough
1: well um one way i started out i've done some reading my favorite book was uh uh, Carla Emery's encyclopedia of country living. It has a real nice section in there on sugar. And that's what I, the information I use to get started. But, um, you, as it gets closer, you'll, you'll notice that it'll start foaming up and okay. you can't stir it down. And once you get it where it's foaming and, um, you can't stir it down, I'll spoon it out and I'll watch it and see if it starts sheeting like, you know, like candy does. Yeah. Once it starts sheeting, then you cut the heat down and, um, Take it in and filter it out. The um, actually, if you want to use a thermometer, it's 17 degrees above the boiling temperature of water at your altitude. Hmm. Interesting. Wow. That's interesting.
2: Yeah, yeah
1: there's there's quite a bit of science to it. Or you know, and you can just go out there and just hillbilly it and, and get the same thing, or you can make it as difficult as you want.
0: Yeah, I figure if you go over, it's probably what sugar is that what it turns into? Yes,
1: and I've done that. I in fact, <laughs> the, I think the very first batch I did, uh, uh, I burnt. <laughs> it just went because from the point of being syrup to the point of being runt is basically a blink of the eye. You've got to yeah. you know watch over it, and because um, it'll go from syrup to sugar to a black burnt-on mess in a pan in a hurry. So as you're, you know, as it's boiling down and it's getting, you know, you're reducing the amount, you want to keep a closer eye on it.
0: Yeah.
2: All right. Man, and there's other, go ahead, Matt. Now I was just going to say, do you have a favorite? So obviously you're doing a lot of silver maples, but do you think one tastes significantly better than another? Or are they all pretty similar?
1: They're pretty similar. Um, I'm kind of glad you asked that question because I've had some people that uh, have got my syrup and said that they have gotten some homemade syrup elsewhere and it have a real woodsy or smoky flavor to it. And they preferred mine. It had a real true maple flavor. And I think the key to that is that I put a lot of time and, you know, my bottle says uh, it's a John's amazing maple syrup and it's made with 100% maple sap, a lot of uh, labor and a little love. So uh, the, the love comes from, Spend putting the extra effort into it to make a better product. The labor comes from um, cutting down nothing but maple trees um, and splitting that. That's all I boil my maple syrup with is maple trees. And I figure if I want mm-hmm. to have a true maple flavor, I'm not going to impart the flavor of the wood, say, you know, a birch or hickory or walnut or something like that. that and, you know, if you barbecue, you know, that the different woods give the meat a different flavor. Yeah. same true with the hangs true with the uh syrup if you use a different wood you're going to impart different flavors upon that um that syrup so i try to stick with my well i don't try i definitely do stick with maple wood to boil my syrup
2: man that's so i good. wouldn't have thought of that i wouldn't have thought yeah. of that at all but it makes sense if it's spending that much time cooking down it's it's bound to take in some of that flavor of the woods so. yeah.
1: and um you know, I'm in pretty good with a couple of the guys with the electric department here in town, and they're always cutting down maple trees that are interfering with the uh, power lines, and they are more than happy to give me all I want. <laughs>
0: That's yeah. a good idea. Well, I have no shortage. Reach reach out to your to your city folks. Reach out to uh, local, you know, uh, tree services. I know I know uh, maple and silver maple particularly. It's just. Bountiful. It's everywhere. There's so many hollow maple trees that are cut down every day. And so, yeah, no shortage of that. Well, John, man, we really appreciate you coming on and talking. And again, this is John Dosh from Pass It On Wilderness Skills. Uh, You can check him out on Facebook. He has all kinds of great videos and know hows. Uh, John, we appreciate you. We appreciate, you know, just in hearing you talk, you are a learner. Uh, We love it that, that, uh, you know, you continue to learn and you just pass on what you're learning to other people. It's made a difference in mine. And uh, I know it'll make a difference in our listeners and uh, thank you for all you do, man. Thanks for investing in the youth and your community and, and just keep going for it. Check it out. John Dosh at Pass It On Wilderness Skills. So I think
2: that's Yeah, Yeah. Thanks, John. I really appreciate it.
0: Appreciate you having you. That's all for today. Catch us next week. We're going to begin talking about shed hunting. That season's just around the corner. So thanks for joining us today on Haybub Outdoors.